three, two, one, and the Knicks win the 2021 championship. It has happened. Wow. About fucking time, man. Only 48 years since then, you know, the Knicks have won a championship. Uh, just want to thank my family and my friends, you know, for respecting my, my dedication and my craft to, you know, second to being a Knicks fan. You know, it was only a matter of time. But the parade, it will be delayed. I was like, damn, why? I, th- I think that's why they want us to practice social distancing, you know, in the future. Because, you know, once the Knicks do win the championship, that parade going to be crazy. But, you know, if they're going to have a doing the social distancing shit, and I don't think that's fair. I, th- I think at least for that day, we should be allowed to bug out. You know, we waited a long enough time. Um, for us to win a championship, you know, and just in case I didn't know, uh, I'm doing this podcast from the future. I know the date's going to say 2020, but, you know, this podcast is really from 2021, the summer, summer of next year and shit. But I believe that's one of the reasons they want us to practice social distancing because, you know, they, they, they can't prepare for uh, the Knicks winning a championship. You know, it, it, I feel like we're getting closer to it just... Because of the the condition the world is in right now, you know, because, you know, it makes, we're actually building a team and building it from the ground up. And I think that's, that's scary enough, you know, before we come through, come out the gate swinging, trying to, you know, swing for the fences. But I think, we, you know, taking a step back, trying to build with R.J. Barrett, Mitch Robinum. So uh, I could see it happen. I could see that being a reason why, because... That parade would be too crazy. I don't think the world or the city would be able to handle it. But, uh, you know, let me introduce this podcast. You know, just another Knicks fan, your host, Cap Jack. You know, I don't be capping at all. Episode 12. You know, I hope everybody's well out there. I hope everybody's doing their thing as they should be. Playing it safe, doing push-ups at home, crunches. Uh, my boy got a gym and shit. He be working out in his crib. You know, he got all the workout material. So he should be solid as steel coming out of this quarantine and all that shit. But, you know, today I want to talk about Ben Wallace, NBA champion, future Hall of Famer, if not already Hall of Famer. I, I didn't, I don't know if he's inducted or not. I, I didn't do my, my research on that. But uh, I remember him saying that the Pistons, you know, wouldn't have won a championship with Melo. He could have said that for multiple reasons. The first one, which I don't believe is because he said if Melo was picked there, they wouldn't win. Uh, I don't agree because I think they would have won multiple championships, not just one. So there that goes. But I think the other reason why he possibly could have said it, which sounds more realistic to me, is he wanted to defend his teammates that were on the team and whatnot. And that's understandable. You want to respect who you went to war with and who you who you was in the trenches with and, and got that shit done. So I definitely respect that if that's the case. But the reason I disagree with that is because I've seen firsthand how deadly Billups past his prime and Melo in his prime can be in Denver. You know, they went to the Western Conference Finals that year, and who knows what would have happened if they stole game one from the Lakers that year. That shit still hurt to me, to be honest. That inbounds pass by Kenya Martin that got stolen. 
you know, if you've seen how serious that series was played and how physical it was, you can see that Melo's almost a perfect match for the Pistons. You know, back to Kenya Martin, dude's a baller. You know, he gave everything out on the court. I just used to hate when he used to do the floaters because I guess the teams, they would want him to shoot the jump shot mid-range, but he would get closer to the rim and do a floater. It looked awkward, but I, I, I understand what he was doing. He's getting closer to the rim and, and try to make a shot that way. But I guess when it missed, it looked ugly, but it was a good shot, though. And when it went in, I was pretty happy. But back to that Billups on the on the Nuggets and the, and with Melo going to the Western Conference Finals, that series was physical as fuck. And Melo took on the challenge of, of guarding Kobe, you know, like a real bona fide baller. He was he didn't back down from nothing. Uh, if you heard that song by Fifty Cent called Back Down, you know, basically you can compare it to that. That's how that series was because nobody was backing down. You know, both of them earned their buckets that series. You could literally see it in the highlight clips of Kobe and Melo fouling the shot, each other getting real physical, and the rest wasn't calling shit. They was letting the players play, letting the players decide the series. Uh like I said, if you know if the Nuggets won Game One, who knows how the series would have panned out. But I will say Kobe was on a mission that year, so I'm not surprised that the Lakers beat the Nuggets. And it was it was Game Three, I believe, when the Kobe face was invented when he hit the the dagger three in Jr. Grill to give the Lakers a 96-95 lead. That shit hurt. My wish. JR didn't get a technical after hitting the buzzer beater to end the third quarter because every point is crucial in the playoffs. But it is what it is. You know, that, that, that series could have, like I said, this is probably destined for the Lakers to win because Kobe was on a mission. But, you know, Melo, Melo laid it out all on the line. He couldn't question his effort, his defense, you know, none of that shit because he was out there getting busy. And seeing Melo with Billups, you can see that's all that Melo really needed a point guard that he could trust. Uh, if you know me, you know I love Andre Miller. And everybody that knows me, that's a lot of, it's not a lot of people. I don't know too many people, but a good 15 people know that I fucks with Andre Miller. But that Nuggets team with Andre Miller, they didn't have enough talent to be a real threat in the West. But Melo still found a way to you know, lead them to the playoffs year after year after year. And I don't think people know how stacked the West really was. You know, got the Lakers, Spurs, Mavericks, Suns, Rockets. I could go on. I'm you know I'm missing a couple of teams. The Blazers with Brandon Roy in them. You know, there was a year where the Warriors won 48 games and didn't make the playoffs. That's fucking crazy. And that was the same year where the Nuggets was the eighth seed and then won 50 games that year just to make the eighth seed. That's some shit if you ask me. You know, the Lakers were the first seed that year. And this was a different year. This was the year before Billups came through. They, they had won 50 games and the Lakers had won 57 games. Excuse me. And only seven games separated first and the eighth seed. You know, I wish that Nuggets team was in the East. I promise you, Melo would have been out the first round way more, way more than he was in the West. You know, I always thought to myself, you know, how... LeBron's Cavs teams were fair in the West. If Cleveland was a Western Conference team, because, you know, people forget that LeBron to make the playoffs his first two years in the league. 
And of course, LeBron's a better player. He has a better career, better resume, all that stuff. But that don't mean he deserved rookie of the year over Melo. Because Melo deserved that shit. You know, he averaged more points, more rebounds, but a field goal percentage took his team to the playoffs. They had more victories. But it is what it is. Back, back to the Pistons now. We back on that wave now. You know, I never heard a teammate say, oh, well, Melo's teammate saying that he's a bad teammate. You know, y'all want to hold Melo hostage for liking to score 30 points and being open about it. While your favorite stab while your favorite player's stab pads and don't even like to admit it. You know, I always hear people say, you know, Melo's a ball stopper, he doesn't play defense. Meanwhile, there's probably like seven players in the NBA that play defense. And when LeBron stopped playing defense for like the last two and a half years, everybody said it's because his team was weak and trash and he needed to save it for offense. And if you wonder why I keep saying LeBron's name is because I have no other choice. People always compare Mello to LeBron, and I think that's unfair. You know, if they wasn't in the same draft class, that probably wouldn't be the case. But the, Trump, but the point I'm trying to make right now is that he needed to preserve himself on offense like LeBron did when he led the Cavs to 50 wins that year. And uh, the crazy thing about that was, you know, the people were singing LeBron's praises when he led the Cavs to 50 wins and they still had K-Love and Kyrie. But no one mentions how it took 50 wins just to make the playoffs in that West as an eighth seed. LeBron, it was probably the second or third seed with 50 wins. Dog, it took Melo 50 wins in the West just to make the playoffs. But no one wants to mention how, you know, Melo led the Knicks to 54 wins with J.R. Smith as the second best player. You know what else is crazy about that season? He had a solid point guard and Jason Kidd. This ain't the Nets Jason Kidd or the Phoenix Suns Jason Kidd. This is a 40-year-old Jason Kidd. And then we got a 55-year-old Pablo Prigioni, a.k.a. Um, the real life of Pablo. This is who Kanye wrote his album about, not uh, Pablo Escobar. You know, Pablo Prigioni had to come to the Knicks because the feds was on his ass. So he figured playing for the Knicks, you know, he could lay low from all the other shit that was going on. And then, of course, you know, we had Raymond Felton, who I said earlier, you know, much love. He held it down for us that season. You know, uh, that was really it. There's no really crazy point guard that Melo had, but when he had a point guard that was trustworthy, he could trust when the ball not in his hand. That shit was coming out of his, the ball would, Melo would make fast decisions. Jab, jab, shoot. Pump fake dribble to the rack or pass the ball out of a double team. Like, he'll make fast decisions. But we don't got a point guard that he could trust because the year afterwards, Raymond Felton, for some reason, uh, looked like a shell of himself. Uh, if he just played a little bit better than he was that year, the Knicks probably make the playoffs because Bearded Muller was doing what he could do, man. He poured his heart out. But a lot of people wanted to give, you know, LeBron the MVP for the year. He led the... Cavs to 50 wins and all that. But then you have to give Melo the MVP for the year. He led the Knicks to 54 wins and shit. But the ironic thing, though, was the year that Melo led the Knicks to 54 wins. The Heat won 67 games that year. They won 27 straight games at one point, including beating the Knicks. But they only beat the Knicks just once, though. And in that one game, the Knicks did blow a 16-point lead. But it was okay. I wasn't too upset because 
You know, it's the Heat, the hottest team in the NBA. But other than that, the Knicks spanked the Heat by double digits every single game. Uh, it was probably the only team to have a double-digit lead on them on the Heat in four games just that season. Like, I don't think no other team had fucking 15, 20-point leads against the Heat more than two times maybe. But the Knicks, every single time. So you can't, I guess, give Melo the MVP when fucking Heat win 67 games and just demolishing the competition. You know, LeBron's the best player, the most dominant player. But the case you could make for Melo was without Melo, they're not Knicks. The Knicks are not winning 54 games. You know, maybe, like, LeBron hurt. We still got Wade and Bosh. They could still win 55 games, 56 games. But it's hard not to give it to LeBron. But, you know, what we have noticed is the narrative consistently changes of what the MVP should be about. So... Now back to LeBron, the year he won 50 games. The Rockets won 67 games, and James Harden was averaging 30, 11, and 9 or some shit like that. And I believe he had Chris Paul as the second best player, but this is not the Chris Paul that we all know of, you know. So for him to have 67 wins, and it's in the West. These are 67 wins in the West. This is not 67 wins in the East. So I have to, you have to respect that shit, you know, uh, so how you not give it to James Harden after he won 67 games? And we all know that he got snubbed the year before that and the year afterwards. But that's another day. So what we notice is that the MVP narrative is, is continually evolving and losing its value to me since 2016, which, like I said, I'll talk about another time. But, you know, the best player and the MVP doesn't necessarily, I, I think, is the same thing. Uh, there could be a best player award and MVP award. It could be two different things. Like, for instance, back to the year 2012-2013, Melo was probably the most valuable player in the NBA, but LeBron was probably the best player in the NBA. Not probably. He is or was the best player in the NBA that year. Uh, think about it. Mixon not winning 54 games without Melo. But he could still make the playoffs without LeBron because they got Wade and Bosh. And they know how to make They got that. They're talented enough to make the playoffs. The Heat are still making the playoffs right now. Like They just have a good fucking coaching staff and a good culture to continue on thriving. So, back to Felton and them, though. Uh, the Knicks probably would have made the playoffs, but the problem was they peaked too late. You know, It wasn't until after the All-Star break when JR and Stats started coming into form. But another thing that we, you know, we often forgot to mention is that Ma was injured as usual. J.R. Smith was coming off a knee surgery. Or Andrea Bargnani, he came off. I think he, no, not Andrea Bargnani. Tyson Chandler had broken his leg, so he got Tyson Chandler with a broken leg. J.R. off a knee surgery. Amari injured as usual. So they was hurt most of the year, but by the time they got got that rhythm and flow and all that stuff. You know, the Knicks ended the season about 16-5 and five or 17-4. and four, But they needed to go 18-3 and three or 19-2 and two to make the playoffs. But they missed it by a game. And the Knicks were peaking and the Pacers were on the downfall. And the Pacers barely beat the Hawks in the first round that year. I think that year the Knicks would have beat the Pacers because the Pacers were looking shaky. 
and the Knicks were getting hot. Stoudemire was busting everybody's ass. JR had like a million three-pointers in about four days. And Melo was still Melo. So, as far as I see, all Melo really needed to be successful was a solid PG who he could trust the ball when the ball wasn't in his hands. Because, as I mentioned earlier, he had a 40-year-old Jason Kidd, 55-year-old Pregnione, a passes prime Billups, and those were his best playoff runs he's had in his career. So, and we also got to stop acting like Kawhi Leonard and PG came in the league killing, leading their teams into the playoffs year after year. You know, they don't have those expectations and had that built, but they did have the ability to develop those skills and they were allowed that time to develop those skills. You know, if if they were expected to be great off the gate, who knows how they would have been. They could have easily folded under pressure, but they were allowed to grow and, and, and mold it into great stars. Melo came in a star. So, you know, people got to respect that. And if Melo was on the defense, you know, he probably would have played a defense. Like I mentioned earlier with the Kobe against the Lakers, you know, he was playing defense. In the playoffs, it's different. Um, there's a lot of players that don't play defense. I don't think Curry could play defense. He tries, though. Kyrie can't really play defense. I never heard anyone say, yo, Rip Hamilton or Billups put the clamps on somebody. You know, it was the Pistons' front line. That was their anchor of the defense. Prince and the Wallace brothers, you know, were the anchors. I know they're not brothers, but they probably got the last name Wallace, so let's just say that. It's more convenient when I speak. Uh, Prince was an important piece of the team, but he was considered underrated for about seven years. And uh, that shit really got annoying. Like, how is somebody underrated if he keeps saying he's underrated? But he was a piece of the puzzle, but he wasn't the main piece of the puzzle. I, I, I believe you put Melo in there, it's just as fine. It just is fine because Melo could play enough defense to where they could collapse in the pain and Ben Wallace and Rasheed Wallace could seal the deal. But uh, Ben Wallace, oh shit. Ben Wallace was the reason why I'm even doing this thing right now, which is crazy. But shout out to Ben Wallace though. You know, he was undrafted, turned into a perennial all-star player, a defensive player of the year multiple times. And he was the first cover athlete of 2K after Allen Iverson. And he also made seven out of eight free throws against Dwayne Wade in the Heat in the playoffs when they went Hacker Wallace. And and the Bulls actually swept the Heat in the first round and they actually knocked the defending champs out of the playoffs with a four-hour sweep. Uh, I know he's done a lot more than that, but big ups to a, a great career that no one saw happening outside of Ben Wallace and his camp. And I'm pretty sure Detroit... Piston, the Detroit fan base, and the NBA fan base is grateful for what he did. Um, like I said, no one's seen that career coming, but he's successful, you know, and, you know, continue to provide inspiration to us. Like, you just can't give up in life. Like, dude was undrafted, and now he's a premier all-star on video game covers and shit. You got to respect that. But back to him saying Melo could have, they could have won a chip with Melo. But, all the Pistons were really missing was a go-to scorer. They got the offense. Not the offense, I'm sorry. They got a great point guard. They got the defense. They got the system. You know, the whole system shit. 
all that we needed, all that we were missing was a, a, a great go-to score. They got the wing defender. And I promise you, if the Pistons had Melo, they would win in 2005. And 2007. Especially 2005, I promise you they win. That shit was brutal, you know. Melo's second year, he gained 21 in the sleep. We all know in the playoffs, every team needs that one go-to scorer that could take you home. And Melo would have been that dude for the Pistons because we all know in the playoff times, every team knows each other's plays and what they're going to do, what they're going to run. It just comes down to who's going to take us home. And Melo has the ability to take take a team home with a victory. I know you guys are going to get some more like, oh, take him home, like eliminated. Like, nah, he could have took the Pistons home in 2005 and 2007. So the Pistons, they would have had three championships instead of just one. And I'm and I believe Melo would have got one Finals MVP, probably two thousand and five or two thousand and seven. If I had to pick one, two thousand and five because they needed an offensive punch bad. And also, we all know that when Melo get the ball in the block, he demands a double team. If not, he getting a bucket. But believe it or not, he's he's a willing passer out of the double team, so that definitely would have helped. Uh, I'm telling you, they would have beat the Spurs both times. I said it. And if it was Pistons versus Celtics, it would be much more interesting because I'm taking Melo over Paul Pierce, and that's the truth. And I have given Paul Pierce his, his just due respect, so like, fuck out of here if y'all think I don't respect Paul Pierce. I just think Melo's a better scorer, better player. Uh, Paul Pierce got blessed with some great talent at the right time, or we could have been looking at his career completely differently too. But I think with Melo on the Pistons, that dynasty could have lasted longer. You know, we forget how they went to the Eastern Conference Finals seven straight years. And to only come out with one championship and two finals appearances. I'm saying only. Like, I was a Knicks fan. I will fucking take that in a heartbeat. But if you added Melo to that mix, and they had a chance to, they really had a chance to add Melo to that mix, which is wild. Like, they could have done that shit. You know... But they did it, and and they're trying to hold on to that they were better off without Melo. That's a big lie. It's easy to say that, but it's wrong. Melo would have been a perfect fit. And if you don't believe that, all you got to do is look at Billups and Melo in 2009. That's all you got to look at. Then you add the Pistons defense to Billups and Melo. That's a formula for victory. But... That's all I have to say. You know, Melo would have won two chips. They would have took those two Spurs chips away. And I would look at the whole Spurs dynasty different because they would have gone from five to three. But you still got to respect the three chips that they got. But if you want to see how Melo would have fared with the Pistons, all you have to look at is his 2009 run with Chauncey Billups and his 2012 to 2013 runs with the Knicks when with the passes prime Jason Kidd and Pablo, Pig- Pablo Pigioni at the realm. You give Melo a solid point guard and, and a solid team that he could trust, they're going to win a championship. You know, um, he was never allotted the same amount of talent that KD had or Curry had or Kobe had, rest in peace, or Shaq had. You name an elite player, Melo never had the same amount of talent around him like these other players. People say Allen Iverson, but they only had they only played for a year and a half. 
But that's my take on it. Uh, I think Ben Wallace is wrong. Even though he was in the locker room, I don't care. I think the Pistons could have won a couple more championships if they had Melo. And, you know, Melo's career trajectory would be looked at completely different. But with that being said, Melo's my guy. You know, I appreciate everything he did for the Knicks. I've been watching him since 02, so it might sound a little biased. But I don't really care because a lot of you guys out there are biased too when it comes to Melo. So respect my shit. And that's all I have to say. Stay mellow. Go Knicks. This is episode 12. I'm checking out. And you guys be safe out there. Team Earth.